once you dig into this, it like just opens your eyes. You start to see leverage. And leverage is how you win the game. It is. For example, let's take uh, links. If I have economies of scale and my cost to acquire a link, it's the exact same link as someone else's is less. I'm going to win. If I can pay someone to do the labor from the exact same quality perspective less, I'm going to win. That's how you win the game. That's how you grow. That's how you scale. And once you see this, your eyes open, you see leverage everywhere. And you also see where you're improperly using it too. Welcome to Agency Breakthrough, where we bring you real gritty stories of agency operators who found the path to get past the plateau. Whether it's hitting on a playbook for massive growth, scaling profit margins, or just finding a way to have an agency and a life, we're here to share how they achieved it and laugh a little along the way. Presented by Zenpilot and ClickUp. And your hosts today are Jakob Greitzar and Gray McKenzie. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to Agency Breakthrough. This time we're doing things a little differently. We just finished recording these, this episode with Chris Dreyer from Rankings.io. Really enjoyed this conversation. So we'll let you know about, so, you know, a little bit of a teaser of what's coming up in just a second. But first, Gray, I mean, we get to hang out. How are you? <laughs> I'm uh, in chaos right now. Our whole, like, uh, one of the main lines that we talk about or our mission at Zenpilot is like taking, uh, uh, canceling chaos and creating clarity. And this transition from chaos to clarity needs to happen soon. But I'm in the middle of moving houses and I'm just figuring out a bunch of stuff there. So between that um, and prepping for a bunch of stuff, uh, work-wise with some conferences coming up and some speaking engagements, there's a lot of moving parts, um, but things are good. So that's my little crazy. By the way, um, Tiffany Souter uh, from Element 3, who uh, you can look forward to hearing here on Agency Breakthrough, uh, she had a great line that when someone asks you, how are you? She never say good, because we all know you're not good. And she never say I'm busy, because we're all busy and we don't really care. So I kind of gave you the I'm busy with just a little bit more flavor on it. And that is my accurate, honest life update. Um, so I'm doing good inside the the busyness, which is like the worst answer blend of the two. How about you? <laughs> okay, so now I can't answer neither good nor busy. Okay, I am Correct. befuddled. I'm going to pick befuddled. So the thing, I'm on a journey of meaning making right now. <laughs> and the reason I'm on that journey right now is... Well, last, was that last weekend? Yeah, quite recently, I got my first tattoo, okay? And what I did, I mean, on the video, uh, you'll be able to see that. I've got, well, I thought the meaning was pretty simple, you know, because I was like, do a plus on my hand, okay? Not hand, but like above my wrist. And, and that's that. I, I got it. My brother got the same thing, but more of an X than, uh, than a plus. And then I come back home and my wife says, oh, you, you, you got a cross there. Why? And I'm like, well, yeah, if you look at it like that, it does look like a cross. And then I spent like two days like ruminating on what is that thing for me? And I realized on every day, it's uh, like every day it, it, it means something else. Then I realized it kind of looks like the kind of the like the, you know, when you're thinking of like a hospital, for example, you know, it could also symbolize healing to some extent. Tattoos right. are fascinating, man. I'm still getting used to it. 
But yeah, that's how I have been <laughs> recently, just experimenting kind of in my mind with like, like one simple thing, one simple symbol, how many different things it can, it can mean. Okay, so that, that got a little bit heavy in there. Anyway, uh, great. Tell us about our guest here, Chris Dreyer, that the listeners will listen to in just a second here on Agency Breakthrough. Yeah, Chris is running an awesome agency called Rankings. Uh, website's rings.io. You'll hear about it here in terms of their revenue size and how they're structured and breakthrough moments. Uh, I've known Chris for uh, quite a while. He's on Agency Journey, um, our other podcast, probably 2017, 2018, uh, uh-huh. somewhere in there. Um, so we've kind of run in the same agency circles for a while and super fun to have him on and dig into what he has. One of the things that I wanted to press him on that we didn't spend as much time as I would have liked to, and so let me know if you'd like a part two, is we did talk about compensation plans, um, but I would like to go even deeper and get even more specific in comp plans. So um, if you've got thoughts or questions about that, let me know. Shoot us a, a note. But how about from your side, what was the biggest thing that stuck out to you, Kuba? Okay, so definitely the part when he was talking about labor, the cost of labor being kind of a taboo subject that kind of made me perk up and listen closely. But I think the one word that I'm taking out from this episode is leverage. That part made me, you know, take a quick note and just ask ask myself, like, where do we have leverage? Where do I have leverage? That thought really stuck with me. So definitely pay attention when when, uh, Chris starts mentioning that. The four C's that he got through, very interesting kind of framework of thinking of running a business. Yeah, and gen- generally speaking, like very, how should I say this? Very, very insightful uh, advice here from Chris. So I wouldn't want the listeners to wait any longer before we get into it. Here's our episode with Chris. Enjoy it. Hey, Chris, welcome to Agency Breakthrough. Uh, I'd love to start with just kind of a quick profile of uh, Rankings.io, your firm. Can you give us a quick snapshot of kind of who's Chris, what is Rankings.io, and who do you serve? Yeah, guys, thanks for having me. Rankings is a law firm marketing agency. We're primarily SEO focused. We've been in business for about 10 plus years, and we've been on the Inc. 5000 fastest growing list for the last six years in a row. I, who am I? I am very, very, very competitive. Uh, I don't settle. I continue to drive and push my team to be uncomfortable. And that's uh, one of the reasons why is because I've surrounded myself with similar people like that. Yeah. This um, podcast has kind of a wide range of guests, um, folks who have, you know, like are building massive agencies, uh, folks who have smaller revenue ambitions and ambitions in other areas, but you're very ambitious, which I think comes from that competitive drive. Can you tell mm-hmm. us a little bit so everyone's got a frame to kind of bucket in where you are on your journey? Where are you guys now uh, from a growth perspective? Mm-hmm. And then what's your ultimate goal? Yeah, we're on target for 13 million this year. Last year we did 10. And next year it's an attainable, not stretch goal will be around 18 million. So the reason is because we know our numbers. You know, it's, it's taken us 10 years to get there and we, we can kind of forecast a little bit better. Uh, even though I've watched Shark Tank many a times, it's, it's the question that for whatever reason we really never dug into and, the, and how powerful that is really when you understand it and how you can utilize it. Yeah, that's awesome. As you've grown, so we'll, we'll, we'll tackle a whole bunch of different things. Sure. Um, 
I think like the podcast is called Agency Breakthrough. Um, Kuba sent over a handful of like a, a notes in a Loom video on like, hey, here's some of the stuff that we typically dig into. And you shot back a couple different, basically asking like, hey, what are, what are some of the breakthroughs that you've had? And you shot back some bullet points, um, which were awesome. So I'm excited to dig into those. But where, mm-hmm. so how old is the agency today? So we have a sense of growth. And like, has your ambition to, hey, I want to scale this, I want to grow this pretty aggressively. Has that always been there? Or has that kind of been awoken over at, at some period of time? It's 10 years. So we've been in business 10 years. And the ambition's always been there. And I had never even contemplated selling. In my opinion, until you hit eight figures for multiple years, the multiples don't make sense to sell because of the, the profitability outlay from a cash flow perspective that you get. So I think by the time you pay taxes and everything and you got to start from scratch, generally it's not worth it to sell before then. Everyone's different. Everyone has different uh, you know, goals and can live at different levels. But I just find you know those below 8x multiples, it's just really challenging for that to be enough. In general, again, I'm not trying to sound like this. You know, I actually live pretty below my means. And, and anyway, so that, that's what I find uh, super hungry. I think that if you are focused on, and, and I hate the definition between lifestyle and, and growth uh, because there's so many, like who doesn't want to take profitability? on the way to growth. And a lot of times people equate that to lifestyle, which is just odd to me. So always grow. You got to always improve. If you're just not pushing it, you're going to lose. You're going to, you're going to, you know, churn clients. You're going to just fall behind. That makes sense. The multiple point, I think is one that's, uh, yeah, I don't think that's even, at least in my experience, uh, a lot of ambition is informed by what your eyes are kind of opened up to, like what you see as possible. Mm-hmm. So somebody's listening to this right now saying, whoa, this guy Chris is at 13 million. Like that's, you know, that is wild. I didn't even know an agency could get that big. And then other people who are at 20 million are like, hey, Chris has a, has a decent agency. Like it looks like he's, yeah, he's on a come a small up. agency. You which, which, which is <laughs> awesome. Um, <laughs> it, but, but, you know, like uh, that's been my experience at least is that uh, my ambition has grown as my eyes have been opened to what's possible mm-hmm. over time. So you saying the mm-hmm. multiple thing, I think is a really uh, helpful point. Is there any math that you, so obviously for anyone who's mm-hmm. not familiar, like most agencies are sold on a multiple of EBITDA or your profit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so typically the lower your EBITDA is um, and the smaller your agency is, the lower mm-hmm. that multiple will be. So if you've got a million dollar agency doing 30% profit margins, so you're bringing home 300 grand in profit, mm-hmm your multiple might be two and a half to four X somewhere in that range. Mm-hmm. And then what you're saying, Chris is, Hey, once you get over um, eight figures and you cross the $10 million mark in top line revenue, then, you know, assuming you've got some decent margin or growth or there's some space there, your multiple also increases. So it's not just that you have more EBITDA, but also the multiple on that EBITDA goes up to eight, 10 plus X uh, as you're exiting. Yeah, and I'm not as experienced as other individuals in this field. I've definitely read a lot of books on it. I've listened to Greg Alexander. I've listened to, you know, the Built to Sell and just different people on this topic. I will say that, you know, that the multiples definitely increase. Like if you have a team that you can, you know, you take this company in a box and you offload it. If you have technology that can increase your multiples, if you have long-term contracts or return recurring revenue. So there's a lot of 
different facets to this. And yeah, it's, I think it's, it's very important for anyone to understand in terms of our, you know, kind of digging into that, like what's our net profit? What, what are we bringing home? You know, we target anywhere from between 20 to 30%. I would like it to be higher if we decoupled and did a little bit more tech, uh, decoupled from headcount and did a little bit more tech AI software, a little bit more subcontractors, maybe a little bit more international arbitrage, we could definitely get, you know, 30 to 50%. It's there. I know how to get it. It's difficult to get there, especially when you start talking about people, right? Hey, you're doing a phenomenal job, but I can pay someone in uh, South America half your, half your labor costs, right? Like, so there's an emotional versus labor or a, a robotic yeah, type of component. <laughs> Uh, when it comes yeah, into sure. play to those decisions. Uh, Chris, before we launch into the breakthrough story here, I did want to ask just out of curiosity, one question. You mentioned your agency focuses primarily on SEO. I wanted to get your take on what's coming for Google search results, the kind of mm-hmm. AI generated summary that's going to be at the top. I mean, as somebody who has deep expertise, how do you think that's going to mm-hmm. affect the SEO agency space? Ooh, really good question. Uh, search generative experience, the, the thing that I see on the beta and all the things that they previewed and what I've been involved in is the transactional bottom of funnel queries is going to be more like an Amazon shopping cart where it's not just three in the map pack. It's going to be a whole list of options. They're going to aggregate reviews. And that's going to exist. Like AI is not going to take away from that. You're still going to be able to manipulate it. Google's not going to change their complete algorithm in regards mm-hmm. to prominence and other things to determine who goes there. I mean, I can't imagine the what that would take to change it entirely. So that that's going to be there. The thing that I think will change is the top of the funnel, middle of the funnel contents, especially for you know those just common replies, those evergreen things that have already been covered. And what what's really going to change is how content's created from a unique perspective, because Google needs to fill the AI. It needs more original content, more data to fill the AI, and it's really going to thrive and and want to consume that information. So I think this is like, AI is like article spinner 2.0. Back in the affiliate days, you throw it in an article spinner, you you swap out some keywords. Oh, it's unique, right? AI is kind of like that, but a little bit better. And so it just, the demands for expertise and the quality is just going to be emphasized more, in my opinion. I don't know that for certain, but that's just kind of where I'm leaning. Okay, so I'm hearing you're saying there's going to be more emphasis on basically unique content. Unique in terms of the topic that it covers, which maybe hasn't been covered Mm. before because it's niche, or in the way it covers a topic that might actually be popular. That's a really tough question to answer. So unique and good. it's it, Google's just trying to look for the best consumer, uh, the, the best answer to answer, uh, the best article to answer consumer intent. So, does unique really matter? Maybe not. Maybe it's formulated in the the best, and it has the most trusted sources and verified sources, and it's the most trustworthy. It may not have to have to be necessarily unique. Um, so. I, I do think there is going to be an emphasis to pull more information into their AI model, their learning model mm. for unique. So things like 
Okay, so in the legal vertical, the uh, DOT Depart- Department of Transportation, and without going down a rabbit hole, rabbit hole is, is several years behind. So if you were the person that took the unorganized data and said, here is the percentage of, of accidents that happen in these locations, and you created this, this new information, absolutely, you're going to get a benefit. Mm. Uh, anyways, that's just a long way away saying there's uh, it, more to it than just unique, I think. Okay, yeah, that's awesome. That really illuminates what's happening there. Thanks for answering that. Yeah, right. Sure. I think at this point, given the nature of this podcast, the listeners are very curious about your agency breakthrough story. So mm-hmm. let's launch into that. You know, that's the whole idea of the podcast, the stories of how agency owners, operators get kind of past the plateau, take their agency to the next level. I want to leave you some know, space here to kind of tell the story in detail. So Chris, what is your agency breakthrough story? There's been multiple. I, I will tell you that I listened to a book by Naval Ravikant. It was How to Get Rich. And it talked about leverage. And I really clung to this idea of what leverage can do for your business. And, and he equates it to the four C's. capital code, collaboration, and content. And I'll kind of go through each of these and we can dig into each of these topics as much as you want because they are very broad and very deep. And so let's just start with capital. What does capital do? A capital acquires you to get things for economies of scale. It allows you to take, and I can give you many examples here. If I am in the agency space and I'm going to outsource content or links and I spend $100,000 versus maybe 10, I may be able to get a discount. I may get certain preferences and treatment that I may not get had I not had that capital. Take Google Ads, for example. If you're doing a client campaign and you bid a radius around a city, it's going to have a certain CPA versus the state or the nation. Economies of scale come into play in regards to negotiations where you're buying multiple things and there is extreme advantages here. And we can go deeper and deeper. Links, content, um, what have you. The next would be like buying EBITDA. Capital allows you to accelerate growth by buying EBITDA. I can go up and buy. We just talked about those multiples earlier. If I have capital, I can buy EBITDA versus someone else can't. I mean, that's leverage. Chris, yeah. Can I stop you for a second? I'm sure. still relatively fresh uh, to this space. So I'll admit, mm-hmm. buying EBITDA flew over my head. Could you explain that in a little bit more detail? How does that happen? Yeah, you can. There are many companies that sell agencies. So instead of building from scratch an agency, you could go buy an agency. Buy an agency Uh that has operators, that has technicians. You could go buy their revenue. Warren Buffett has grown his empire by doing that. He he buys and invests in good companies. And that's what capital allows you to do. It allows you to make certain moves that other individuals can't. I had this conversation with Joey and JJ on their podcast. I know we mentioned this previously, the, uh, the Best Damn Agency. Uh, podcast. I think it's the name of it. Yep. We were talking about business development and how to get leads. And a lot of times, like when I started my agency, 
I started with $15,000. What can I do? I have to do things that aren't scalable. I have to use my network. I can't do Google ads effectively or SEO or social or a podcast. It's 15 grand. So the amount of things that I can do from a capital perspective now when I'm investing, you know, last year I invested $2 million in our marketing. If you're an agency that only made $2 million, it's a different level of an advantage is capital. And how you acquire capital. Do you acquire capital through bootstrap, through your, your monthly cash flow? Do you go borrow capital? Capital is a tremendous point of emphasis, and that's one of these four components of leverages and understanding that. I, once you know your numbers, your cost to acquire a client, everything changes. And where, which channels you choose and how you think of them from a growth perspective. Sure, maybe SEO gives you a CPA that's super low versus Google Ads, but is your Google Ads lower than your average? Does it provide, can you still generate an ROI? And it comes back to the saying, Russell, I think it's Russell Brunson, the, the individual that can pay the most to acquire a client wins, something along the lines of that. And that's what it means. You know, Bezos says, your margin is my opportunity. Yeah, well, I was just going to ask on the capital point. So you mentioned, which I think is a great example, uh, what you're spending on marketing um, to grow. How have you acquired capital? Has it been primarily cash flow? Have you like mm -hmm. lines of credit, investors? Yeah, and it's for me, and that's why it's taken me 10 years to get to 13 million. Yep. It's because I had an initial 15K when I launched my agency. I, I, it's just not very much capital. If I went out and borrowed 4 million, now I would have exploded things and burned things and maybe not had the profitability. But I guarantee if I'd have built, borrowed several million dollars out of the gate that I wouldn't be at 10 million, 10, you know, 10 years in. Right. Maybe three years in. Yeah. That's awesome. Let's talk about code. That's the second, second C in Naval's book, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, so code from an agency perspective, the first one that comes to mind we just talked about is AI. What hmm. are the AI benefits here? Because we're talking about utilization, we're talking about delivery, and how does AI affect an agency? Well, typically, if you're an SEO agency, the first thing that comes to mind is content. The content costs, there's twofold things have happened that I've seen. The first thing is your ability to do ideation, to make improvements, to just create content is significantly quicker um, if you think of it as a tool. The other thing that's happened is the commoditized content marketing agencies have decreased their costs because they have downward pressure because of other options. Yeah, That's what's not talked about is they have all reduced their prices It's because they're a commodity. Um, in general, sorry, content agencies, I've, I've had direct conversations with many of you, but if you're doing your 2,000 word, 1,000 word articles for volume and you don't do anything different than anybody else, we're judging you based upon price. And, and you know, AI has, has put downward pressure code on, on those companies. So it's really impacted profitability from an agency perspective. There are things like CRM automations, um, HubSpot sequences, things like that, that can give you additional leverage, give you additional deliverability. And some individuals create their own code or, and this is just what I see, right? It's, it's these types of components 
these prompts, these different software really allow you to, to acquire profitability. And I would say for me, one of the, it's probably our biggest weakness in terms of the four C's. Capital, the amount that we're investing versus newer agencies, definitely there. Um, code, we are using AI. We are using it quite a bit, but I think we could use it more. We are using some tech, but I think we could do better mm -hmm. here. Agency Breakthrough is brought to you by ClickUp. ClickUp is the number one productivity platform and fastest growing work management solution for agencies. ClickUp gives you an easy way to track all of your clients, projects, deliverables, tasks, and team capacity in one place. With ClickUp, your team will finally be fully aligned and rolling in the same direction. Go to clickup.com, that's C-L-I-C-K-U-P.com to get started on the free forever plan. Question that comes to my mind is, you're, you're talking a lot about what's, well, basically now, right, with the rise of generative AI. But with the 10 years of experience that your agency has, there must have been something that you did in the code space that you know put you forward. So what was the best step thus far that you made in this code area? I would say one of the one of the for us in particular was how we do audits and analysis. Oh. It's uh, utilizing AREFs and their API. Uh, we have some custom code there. If you go to rankings.io slash manticore, you can see some things that we've developed that Give us a little bit of an insight, uh, a little bit of a competitive advantage. We've utilized code from a strategy perspective where we've analyzed different marketing tactics. I know Brian Dean and other individuals have, have released these data studies, but in general, those data studies are across all industries, not focused in on one. So while in general, as an average, you may need to write longer content or you may need more links or blah, blah, blah. How do you take a look at that from a vertical perspective, a legal perspective. And that provides mm. a certain level of intelligence. It helps you scope projects a little bit more. So we've done that from a code perspective. Take our, our SEO analysis. It used to take two days to do. Now we can do it in an hour or two. A really solid one. Just from the ability to use the API and use AREFs and SIMrush and things like that. And that Ahrefs API solution, you called it Manticore? Yeah, we have our own. Uh, it's it's rankings.io slash manticore. I'm not, if you guys want to look at it, that's the only, I'm just giving you an example. It's not, yeah. you know, it's something I'm trying to sell or it's just an example of code that we use. Yeah, I just got really curious about the name. How did that come about? Yeah, our, our logo, so uh, complete aside, we're rank kings. So we're thinking king of the jungle is a lion. And we didn't want to have a lion. So we're like, What's cooler than a lion? Oh, a manticore is part lion. <laughs> Let's do that. <laughs> and if you actually look, people don't know this, but in the tail of the manticore is a whistle. And it kind of uh, to throw back to me being a coach, uh, it also has a little crown, a king. So that's where we came about that. So there's a lot more to it than just some generic logo we threw, threw together. I am um, so glad I asked. That's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, so much depth. Mm -hmm. Again, this is the one that I, I don't speak about as much as the others because it, it's 
I'm weaker at it. It's an area of improvement and opportunity. Yeah. I think sense. that, yeah, I think there's just a tremendous opportunity here. Yeah. I think for most people will have the biggest impact. It's collaboration or labor. So here's the deal. A lot of times people associate revenue to headcount. And they'll naturally say, well, how many people you have working at your company? Your mom asked you. They equate that to how big and how successful you are. Because if you need to move a pile of boulders, more people can help you move it quicker. But in terms of what you can do here is you can decouple headcount from your revenue. Well, how do you do that? You can utilize code. You can utilize subcontractors. You can, um, that's where pricing arbitrage goes into play. And th this is a bit taboo. Although we're becoming more globalized, you know, a lot in the U.S. are like, oh, you, you know, like, here's the deal. Even in the U.S., let's just talk about just the U.S. Let's not even go the international, okay? Mm -hmm. If I hire an SEO specialist in St. Louis, they're going to be less than California or New York or a developer. It is what it is. There's, there's U.S.-based labor arbitrage right in the U.S. Why would you, if you're, if you're an agency that's trying to get the best talent and not overspend, why would you open up the nationwide? It, it's completely ludicrous. You should keep it confined to those other areas that has excellent talent. There's exceptions to that. And you go a step further, and once you realize this, hey, I've got you know Canada and, and uh, South America in the same time zone, speak fluent English, less money for labor, you go to the Philippines, India, Pakistan, all these different regions, you've got Upwork to source talent. And I know people are like, people have this flawed mentality that other individuals, it, it's, again, this is a taboo conversation that they can't do it as well. But here's the deal. Maybe you're right. Maybe, maybe the talent's a little better in the US. Who knows, right? I don't think that's true. But let's just say it is. Let's just say I'm paying 120000 to a developer. Well, could that one developer outperform six to eight full-time? Maybe. Chances are probably unlikely. Mm. So it gives you labor. It is the most under-talked about conversation. And a number to track that most agencies need to track that will keep them out of trouble, that will keep them. Look, we're not, we, we didn't all go and get accounting degrees, right? I had issues with over hiring at one time, about three or four years in. That's when I accrued some debt and I had to pay it off. I don't have any debt now, but at some time, at one point, I overhired and forecast properly. If you, if you track revenue per employee and say you're, you're at 10 million and you've got uh, 20 em employees, that's 500,000 per head. That's amazing. When that number starts to dip below 200,000, you're in trouble. You need to look at other options. That's where it gets really challenging to be profitable because your biggest cost walks on two legs generally for professional services. Let's points of conversation here anything you guys want to dig into 
No, I think that's big. That that bar has really gone up over time. I mean, the average agency today is actually not that you know, like our data set is uh not uh, you know, uh, thousands of agencies and dozens of conversations um every week. And the average agency that we're talking to, if you just said, Hey, we're at about 140 uh in revenue per FTE, um is is still there. And then you get into the back end and get into the financials and you know, because you've seen this too, like there's not taking home any money. And it's um really heartbreaking to talk to. There's an agency owner um out of North Carolina a couple of years ago, 3.1 million in top line. Uh we looked at net margin, one percent, not no like a joke, literally one percent in margin. Uh they just weren't wow. making anything. Uh, so yeah, I think two hundred is like I think that's a healthy bar to say, hey, if we're not above that, we got to rethink how we're packaging and pricing and how we're delivering on this and are we over-servicing or not. Okay. Yeah, and a, and a, a point here too, I'll just do one other thing. And this is where your compensation plans, most agencies don't have a, a, a compensation plan policy. They're like, oh, Bobby did really well. I'm going to give him a 5% raise. Or, oh, we look, that's not a compensation plan. And when, when you start to, when you're in business for 10 years and you do those 5% every year and they compound, it starts to get a little hefty and you can, you can tie it to variable incentives, and it, which is a much, much better approach for bonuses or commissions, um, tie it to that, that number that's affected. So, um, you know, those are just a couple things to add there. Yeah, that makes sense. We might uh, might come back to the comp plan piece, but Kuba, I won't interrupt. I know you had something you're going to jump in with. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So in a similar vein to the previous C, I wanted to ask about your best step thus far in the collaboration space, but I wanted to make it narrower. Getting great talent on board is, of course, a big challenge uh, to surmount. But what about internal collaboration? Once you have these great people on board, how do you make them work well together? How do you bring out the best in them, help them leverage their strengths. What was the best thing you've done so far to, to make that happen? Excellent question. I, we have cadences of communication where we're, we're attraction EOS-based agency. So every Monday we have our Monday meetings and different department heads. We look at a scorecard of KPIs. Our KPIs are not our base utilization rates. Guys, go throw those in the trash, literally. Why would you compare someone that's doing their job more efficiently or, or that are better trained, that, can, that, that has more output? You want to look at the outcome. Like, what are you trying to do? Don't track the hours that your outreach specialist is working. How many links did they acquire? What are the quality of those links? Don't track the amount of time that your writer wrote content. Track how many articles they produced. How many sales were created? I don't give a shit about, sorry, about proposals. I don't care. I don't care if you said 100 or 10. How many deals did we win? And when you start looking at the outcome, it changes everything. Because that's what truly moves the business. And the thing is here, you, yes, you can, you can do some leading indicators of success. But, but you want to start combining leading with lagging indicators and look at, be more outcome focused. The other thing I'll, I'll say is if you combine the, the outsourcing component, so uh, the agency today 
does not have to, to have all labor in-house. You can use these specialized vendors. When you purchase their resources, their throughput, it's typically an outcome. Yeah, yeah. You're going to go buy X amount of links, right? Now, they have to do the lever to labor to get the high-quality links. I'm not talking about, you know, some black hat links. I'm talking about good links that were built the way that you want them built. Content. So that's the issue with most people is, and that's kind of a tangent, is, is time tracking. It, it, it's, you know, go flush harvest down the toilet, like literally. This is a great area for debate. Um, how, so in terms of the team, the way that you're structured right now, you get your Monday meetings, you run on the US. We've been running on the US since 2017 or whatever. How many different do you have like growth L10, client services L10, operations L10, and then ultimately the exec L10? Or what does that look like? Yeah, yeah great question. We, we don't call our leadership um, a leadership L10, which is our cross-functional all department heads plus our president. We call it a war room level 10. Uh, even our, oh. our core values, and I'm speaking specifically to us, even our core values, it's not team player, it's foxhole mentality. It's not, you know, execute, it's true grit. And so it's not, you know, we, our other third core values, send and delete, meaning I can send you something and I don't have to like, hey, just check it in to see how it's done. Like, no, it's, I send it to you, you delete. Okay, it's being done. We're, we're a team of executors. Back to your L10 question. Our company is divided into marketing, sales, accounts, which is client service, and ops. I chose to split client service and ops because they have different incentives. Um, accounts is more um, an, age, uh, an advocate for the client. They don't care how much you spend. They just want the client to be happy because they have to hear about it. Versus ops is more agency-centric about profitability. So it's kind of odd to have those under one umbrella. So we split those marketing, sales, accounts, ops. So we'll have a war room level 10. We'll have a marketing level 10, sales, accounts, ops. And then we have one more that's a bit different. We have a retention level 10. That is accounts and ops uh, heads there. Yep. Makes sense. That's awesome. All right. We got a C left here. Let's talk about content. Content's one of my favorite. A lot of my agency peers, right, other legal marketing owners, they always give me hell. Chris, why don't you go to any of the conferences? Why? You should go. You should speak on stage. And my answer to them is it's not worth my time. And, and I'm not trying to be arrogant. I'm not trying to be an ass. But I host a podcast that gets 20,000 downloads a month. It's uh, significantly bigger than a keynote every single week. So I'm giving a keynote presentation where I am the authority every single week from my office. And I can have the biggest of the biggest guests on there. Had Seth Godin on there. Had Mike Papantonio on there. Like from my office versus I go on stage. I got to travel. I got to spend two or three days you know, go in there. Yeah, I'm on the stage and I speak to 100, 200 people that don't really care that they're there to party and get their CLE credits. Now, there is something to be said from an authority perspective, right? You do get some authority speaking on stage and that's an advantage. If you need that, you're an agency, you need some more authority, you don't got have those case studies, those testimonials, then by all means, go do that. But in general, that's one of my favorite is 
is leveraged for from a content perspective, a, a podcast for distribution owned assets versus going to speak on stage. Yeah, that's awesome. Agency Breakthrough is brought to you by ZenPilot. ZenPilot is ClickUp's number one solutions partner, helping agencies get maximum value from ClickUp as quickly as possible. We've helped over 3,000 agencies get work done faster and better and with more visibility. And we do that by identifying your operational bottlenecks, crafting the perfect work management system for your needs, and training your team on how to use it consistently. We also have a library of over 200 battle-tested agency processes and SOP templates that you can leverage immediately when you start working with us. Go to zenpilot.com, that's Z-E-N-P-I-L-O-T.com, book a call with us, and get on the path to better productivity and bigger profits. Can you tell us a little bit about, again, I'm going to be really repetitive here, but like in terms of growing the podcast, what was the best step or you know, what was the key to making grow so much? Yeah, really good question. The, the quality of your interview, the quality of your guests are, is significant because you need to retain, just like you want to retain your clients uh, and need to provide a good service. You need to provide a good content to, to, to grow the podcast. The there's this tipping point that affects that that occurs once you have a certain inventory of content where you have options. So say for example, you know, I may listen to my first million or Joe Rogan or whoever. Let's let's just Joe Rogan's probably the most popular. So let's use him as an example. I go to his podcast and I see, oh, he's talking to this comedian. That comedian kind of annoys me. Ah, not listening to Joe. But Joe's got thousands of other interviews. I still want to listen to Joe. I'll go listen to him, talk to Naval. That's a great one. See, so what happens, a lot of people give up their, they get their 50 to 200 downloads an episode and they're like, this isn't working season one. This isn't working season two. And then this, this something starts to happen and you start, you, you become better. You, be, you ask better questions. You get more experience. You have better guests because You've, you've had other guests on that you can use as leverage and that's what happens. Now, other tactics, you know, an email, email newsletter, uh, pump in social media ads. You can do some programmatic ads based upon uh, on Apple and Spotify based upon the type of show you have. Mine was too narrow. We would get a whole bunch of subscribers and they'd drop off. The, mm. So there's, there's a lot of those age-old tactics. You can go on other podcasts because it's the medium of choice. You're not transitioning someone from YouTube to Apple. Well, that's not the best example. Let's say uh, Instagram to Apple. Um, if they're already on Apple listening to shows, you can do some mid-rolls and different types of advertising there. You can also, if you have the right relationship, you could join a podcast network that already has distribution. So, you know, that's on the podcast. It's also, you can see this from a a social media perspective. You can see this from a site that has a lot of authority to rank content from a distribution perspective. And on and on and on, you know, LinkedIn, 
you know, um, automation sequences, HubSpot sequences, uh, and that's kind of combination of content and tech, right? Many, many ways to utilize this from a leverage perspective. When you, when you think about it, marketing is just a tension arbitrage. Gary Vee talks about this. It's where individuals congregate is the best opportunity to advertise, specifically your target market. So if a ton of people go to the next social media network, whether it's threads, threads is kind of dying. If people congregate there, it's an opportunity to advertise. Yep. That was great. Yeah. Once you dig into this, it like just opens your eyes. You, you start to see leverage. And leverage is how you win the game. It is. For example, let's take uh, links. If I have economies of scale and my cost to acquire a link that has the, it's the exact same link as someone else's is less, I'm going to win. If I can pay someone to produce, to do the labor from the exact same quality perspective, less, I'm going to win. All these, that's how you win the game. That's how you grow. That's how you scale. And once you see this, your eyes open, you see leverage everywhere and you also see where you're improperly using it too yeah okay the leverage point this is kind of like we've been trying to figure out how to work this more into our messaging um the idea of we're doing project management for agencies helping them get project mm -hmm. management right and the idea of hey we need a stupid simple interface for your team members with really clear rules of engagement and strong accountability Here's what you log into. Here's the one screen. Here's the button. Like, here's how you see and prioritize your work. We need that, though, to go populate all the reports that you need. How does an account manager need to see this versus, you know, the head of your accounts team versus the CEO? You know, everyone needs, I need to see how client health is performing. I need to see what capacity is that. Sales needs to know who can we ship, like, what, what's the opportunity? And so it's just that idea of leverage. How can you use code in that case? Um, to create that leverage. And yeah, once you start looking for it, then you start looking, you know, that, that opens to your eyes again, back to the ambition point. Like then you realize, oh, wow, there's so many opportunities in everything that we're doing to create leverage and, and more efficient outcomes, which then increases your ability to pay more to go acquire and grow faster. So yeah, the, absolutely. This, this idea of leverage is such an unlock, like thinking again in the Zen pilot context, just one sentence about that, you know, Based on what you were saying, Chris, I'm thinking, okay, what could I tell somebody considering us about the levers that we create? I would say, you know, imagine the levers you would have if your team members always knew what they're committed to and almost always kept their commitments because that's what the system allows them to do. But anyway, not to get too self-promotional here. No, no, no. Let's, let's, let's talk about this, right? So this is in the space. A lot of agencies uh -huh. are trying to choose, you know, which project management tool do we use? Well, I can tell you right now, I was a little stubborn moving over to ClickUp and I still don't love any project management tool, but the automation capabilities that it has versus others mm. is a significant advantage. Um, also, not only that, the visibility from a, just a strategic standpoint and unlocking different components there. So I'm not pushing anyone in a particular project management tool. Yeah, you know, I grew for many years with Basecamp, right? Old school Basecamp, not Basecamp, whatever it is now. Yep. So it's just, it's just learning it as you go and growing. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. All right. Let's make the, let's uh, make the turn into third here. 
Um, we've got our crisp cornucopia is what we've termed this segment, Chris. And these are like a couple <laughs> quick questions that we've got. Um, some of them are more typical. I'm actually going to skip the first one, which is like, hey, are there any lesser known tools? We might come back to that one if we've done. I want to ask the question that I don't, I hear the tool question or like, what book have you read? Like pretty often. But mm-hmm. I rarely hear the service provider recommendation. And what I love is like, mm. hey, who's good at this? or Who's good at that? Now, I've seen your stuff on a handful of sites, your logos, you know, thrown up there. And I would assume those were good experiences. Sometimes people just take client logos and slap it up there because they need client logos up there. But are there any service providers you've worked with? You know, like it could be anything, but yeah, I think people generally think, oh, I've got an accounting firm or tax prep or I've got whatever else. Anyone who you can give a shout out to or recommend uh, for providing exceptional service in your experience? Ooh, my vendors listening, my strategic partners listening want to want to shout out here. Uh, I will say, um, Harry's team over at Lower Street really helped our agency grow, and they provide exceptional quality, and they're an excellent podcast production company. I've used a few there in terms of quality and uh, dependability. They're exceptional. The I would say that on from a podcast perspective, I also want to give a shout out to Ardent Growth, which is Skylar Reeves' company. Tremendous, tremendous. Um, they do a mix of things. They can do some software. They can do some content creation. They do a lot of, uh, they help rankings with a lot of the marketing. So they're hmm. phenomenal. I've used some o- others. And, and like, here's the deal with some strategic partners. They are excellent at certain levels. Yep. Right? It's a lot of times, take take a podcast, for example, and I'm not going to go down a rabbit hole, but like I knew I needed to do it for two years and just kept putting it off. And I eventually just signed up with an agency and it, it forced me to get it done. So anyways, that's going down a rabbit hole. I would say Lower Street and Ardent Growth would be the two that come to mind. That's awesome. I've heard of Lower Street. Yeah, shout out to them. The the longer segment here is going to be the vendors that you hate. No, I'm just kidding. That's not one of the, not one of the questions, but that would be very entertaining. I've got a few. <laughs> cool, but pick, pick a question okay. here. I'm going to pick something that's not on the list, actually. So to ask you about something very different from what Gray asked about, what about your favorite mental frameworks. I'm using the word frameworks hmm. like very deliberately here. I have a very difficult relationship with mental models, but I'm thinking about stuff like, I don't know, for me, I love the Eisenhower matrix, you know, urgent, not urgent, important, not important. I use that a lot. You must have mm-hmm. some of those that you've used for years or they've made, helped you make some big decisions. Your favorite mental frameworks, what would that be? This is really good. Um... Okay, so I don't know if this falls in the mental frameworks um, side of things. It could. Uh, I, I think of things like um, the Iron Triangle, right? You can have two of the three. You can have um, uh, good, fast, or cheap, but you can only have two. You can have something that's good and fast, but it's expensive. You can have something that's cheap and fast, but it's not good, right? You can have something that's good and cheap, but it may take a long time. I think there's a lot of truth to this. That would be one. Jeez, that is such a challenging question. Um, Pareto principle, I'm looking at that. That's pretty common. So I'm trying to get you one that's not super common. But yeah, th- those are the two that come to mind. 
if, if I revisit it, if you ask me in the future, I would have exactly. more, but those are a couple that I, I lean to. Uh, so you mentioned um, How to Get Rich by Naval Ravikant. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you still pay attention to any of his stuff. You mentioned My First Million, um, which I've mm-hmm. listened to every episode. Um, who else are you following? Like who's influential right now at this, at this point in time? Greg Alexander is an absolute monster. He is a monster. I mean, look at his story and what he's done. Uh, you want to talk about decoupling revenue from headcount and what he did from an exit. His book, The Boutique, is phenomenal. Who else am I following? Jeez, there, there are so many. I, uh, here's the thing I just talked to my wife about recently. As I said, so I, I, I read anywhere from 50 to 100 books every year, right? I'm on like 60-something right now. And they're business books, nonfiction. Mm. You take an example of like a, a, a Titan for Rockefeller or, or Henry Ford's book or, or Sam Walton made in America. These individuals changed the entire game for us. And they're distilling all their experience in history into a book. Now, a book, it may take eight hours to read, but my God, the, the amount of knowledge and what they compartmentalize into it, it's just, it's unbelievable how much power it is. And I'm in the camp, even though I read a volume of books, I read multiple books. Boutique, I've read six times this year, as an example. Ready, Fire, Aim, I've probably read 10 plus times. 100 million offers, Alex Ramosi, who knows, 10, 10 times, right? It's, it's Just this year? No, no total for Alex's book. They, oh, okay. But where, where I'm going with this is like, based upon what you're going through as an agency will be what you cling to when you read it. So like the first time I read Ready, Fire, Aim, I'm looking at like these certain components. I kind of grab hold of that. Then the next time I'm looking at, oh, this, this issue I had, I'm, I'm clinging to that. And you start to understand what they're teaching you much better. So it's not always, I'm not always to the camp of read more. It, it, it's in terms of a volume perspective, it's, it's read the same book over and over again. And also I will say this, and this is a little tangent, it's much easier to get a book created and, and out the door now. You, you will formerly scribe. I don't know what they are now, but you had, you know, you got Ingram Sparks and KDP, Kindle Direct Publishing and all these different facets. I think there is more wisdom in the older books. Yeah. And, and I think that those typically can be more challenging to find, but I think they can provide more educational value. I agree with that. Yeah, because the threshold was that much higher, right, to publish something mm-hmm. in the first place. Whereas these days, sorry to say, you have some books that really should have just stayed as blog posts. <laughs> it's just people want to say that they put out a book. Thousand right? percent. Thousand percent. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. Well, Chris, we're nearing to the end of our time here, unfortunately, because this has been illuminating. Uh, anything that we, I don't know, neglected to ask about that you also wanted to throw in there in the last couple of minutes before we close out? I'll say one last thing here. And I'll say something about relationship capital is because, and I'm not going to go on the niching tangent. I think there's advantages and disadvantages to niching versus generalization. But I'll say that when you have a focus and you congregate with certain individuals and you build this community, it allows you to create 
this equity that you can move up the ladder. When I first got into legal, I couldn't go email Mike Papantoni and have him on my show. It's just not worth his time. But now that I know him, he can introduce me to other individuals. And, and so that's something to be said versus starting at ground zero from a flywheel perspective. And I would just, relationship capital needs to go into one of those four C's. Yeah. I wonder how I would rephrase that. Well, C, connections. You could say connections, right? Mm-hmm. So let's leave that as the last one. Awesome, Chris. That was that was so great uh, to to hear from you. And excellent last point. I think that's super important. And I suppose that'll be the end of our time here today. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for being on the show and answering our questions and being our guest here. Uh, you know, where can people find you? Connect with you? What, what should they click on? What should they visit? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm most active there. If you just search for Chris Dreyer and Dreyer's D-R-E-Y-E-R. If you want to check out my site, it's rankings.io. All right, awesome. So definitely check out Chris on LinkedIn. Check out rankings. And if you have any other questions, then send them to Chris. Thank you so, so much, Chris, for being a guest on the show. And we'll call it here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to press the stop button. Okay, guys? Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Agency Breakthrough. It's really cool that you stuck around till the very end. If you like this, don't forget to subscribe to Agency Breakthrough for more episodes. Just search for Agency Breakthrough Podcast. We're on YouTube and a bunch of other platforms. Just use your favorite one and follow us and subscribe. See you next time.